Good evening. This is the second podcast for the day. Um, it's Saturday, November 7th, 6.44. And um, <clears throat> I have missed our little walks and our little talks. Well, first of all, I my son joined me on the last episode. I hope you could hear him all right. I actually didn't listen to the episode. Um, and I generally don't listen to the episodes. Um, I guess I should. But, uh... I've only got so much time. And, um, frankly... Uh, it is what it is. And, um you know, take it or leave it or so, but I have some reports. Now, I have a couple of different podcasts I was listening to, and uh, I was listening to the um, Podcasting 2.0, and they're talking about Anchor.fm, how um, people just record one episode, and, uh, and that's it, and they're clogging up the index. Well, we're better than that. So maybe we're not the absolute worst podcast in the universe. Um, I don't know if we're a garbage podcast. Dave said that, you know, expressing yourself is important. And I still have to listen to the end of that, uh, the latest one. I haven't actually listened to it. Um... But, uh, I was pretty busy today. I worked on the, on the bunker for a couple of hours and I, uh, cleaned out two rooms and the porch. I I reorganized the porch to make it look nice. And, um, tomorrow's going to be another day of uh, of work we're gonna see um, we're gonna see uh, what's going on with that the uh, But it's good to to get up early and go there. It's just that my son wants to get up early with me now every day. So, uh, and I don't want to disappoint him. So we're just going to change our schedule a little bit and try and fit in our podcasting. Well, when I was in New Jersey, I, I really had my uh, regular routine. And the weather was nicer, but now, right now, here in Pennsylvania, it's beautiful weather. I just have a, uh, well, two sweatshirts on. And, um, no big jacket, no gloves. So, I think we're just going to start with a clip show. 
and we haven't done that in a while. So I've I listened to most of this today, and this is about the Senate hearing that I'm I've been building up towards, and it's just crazy. Um, we're just going to listen to it. I'm going to comment on it, and we're going to see how far we can get. I'm going to do all of it. And it's the second time I've listened to it. I have some opinions. And it's obviously not uh, not all digested in my mind. But um, I hope you follow me on this path. <clears throat> so in our first clip, <clears throat> Senator uh, Ted Cruz from Texas, Republican, um, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee is going to introduce his opening speech, and he's going to tell us that Google has a enormous power. It controls 90% of the searches in America, and it's actually our actually our uh, discourse, our conversation, our society is being led by them. And he's saying that they are abusing this power. People hear, watch, read, and say is unprecedented. Almost 90% of internet searches in the United States use Google. Google's domination of the search engine market is so complete that to Google is now a commonplace verb. With that market power, Google can and often does control our discourse. And sometimes tech companies talk about their products and the effects of those products as though they're forces outside of big tech's control. As we've heard time and time again, big tech's favorite defense is it wasn't me. So he uh, really breaks it down here and he says that the tech companies like the blamed algo to um, get rid of the responsibility for what they do. But he says they wrote a program, they maintain a program, and this program decides what to show you in what order. And then he goes on to say that <clears throat> people at Google censor videos and say whether or not it's hate speech or not to give themselves legitimacy uh, for their censorship. And I've experienced this myself multiple times. We've seen this gone crazy. And um, it's really, um, you know, Curry talks about it as well for his stuff was demonetized recently or blocked. Now they're using it for um, censoring uh, anything about COVID that might be considered negative or anything questioning any of the official narratives. It's really gone absolutely crazy during COVID. And um, <clears throat> that's also why I'm doing this episode because it's so relevant to what's happening now with the election as well. And Twitter is, you know, censoring Trump um, and saying he has groundless 
objections to the uh, election, unproven. But Giuliani uh, made his case today in the press conference, and he's a lawyer, and they have witnesses, and they have at least a case that should be heard. And uh, I think he presented it very well. And uh, I'm not saying whether he's right or wrong or not, but I do think that they have the right to uh, be heard fairly. So I'm walking up a hill here. Sorry about my heavy breathing. But hey, you know me. You've been on this podcast. All right. But this is very relative to, relevant to what what's going on right now. And I think more than ever, we need to examine. And it's also great um, the way Mr. Cruz really ties it together. And we can learn something from him. So here we go. It wasn't me. The algorithm did it. But Google's search engine isn't some supernatural force. It's a computer program written and maintained by people. So every time we search on Google, we see only the web pages that Google decides we should see in the order that Google decides we should see them. Type a few letters into the search bar and Google will tell you what you should be looking for. The same is true of Google's subsidiary, YouTube, the second most visited web page in existence. When you search on YouTube, programs written by people at YouTube provide you with the results. When you watch a video, a program written by the people at YouTube suggests what you should watch next. And when you submit a, a video, people at YouTube determine whether you've engaged in so-called hate speech, an ever-changing and vague standard meant to give censorship an air of legitimacy. This is a staggering amount of power to ban speech, to manipulate search results, to destroy rivals, and to shape culture. More and more, America... <clears throat> so in this next clip, he talks about the power that Google has to destroy rivals to censor speech and um, <clears throat> to direct people's attention to places. And it is quite enormous. Um, and he's saying that the people are not happy with it. And we're not. And that, <clears throat> you know, that's where um, Congress and our representatives should step up and um, address this. It's it's truly a a um, monopoly, very successful um, system, and we're going to hear all about it. Um, about what's going on? Meant to give censorship an air of legitimacy. This is a staggering amount of power to ban speech, to manipulate search results, 
to destroy rivals and to shape culture. More and more, Americans are demanding accountability from big tech for that massive power. Okay, now we're gonna introduce the concept of um, Section 230 that uh, was designed to have a truly diverse internet where all sides could be heard. And that's absolutely what's being broken right now on Twitter, on Facebook, and in Google, that they're absolutely taking sides on everything. Uh, covertly uh, manipulating search results, results and overtly censoring people, blocking content. I've experienced it. My family's experienced it. We've seen so many cases of it. And um, he's saying that this is a privilege given to tech companies as part of a deal, and they're breaking their side of the deal, that they are immune from being subject to libel or um, they're immune to being persecuted for the content decisions that they're making. But it seems very much that they're making content decisions, um, just like an editor. And he, later on, you'll see he tries to actually get them to admit that they're being editors and they're going to present internal memos, which they deny um, owning. They deny, uh, I mean, this is going to be a great episode, guys. So strap yourselves in because it's going to get interesting. From big tech for that massive power. One thing is certain. Congress never intended to empower large technology com companies to control our speech when it passed Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That provision, Section 230, gave tech companies special privileges that nobody else gets. If the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal were to publish an op-ed that libeled a private citizen, they can be held responsible. This is the case even when those organizations don't write the content that breaks the law. They can be held responsible merely for publishing it. Not so for companies like Google and YouTube. If someone uses one of those services to commit slander or to trans transmit classified material or to traffic guns or drugs, far too often Google is off the hook. Section 230 makes it immune. Big tech gets a perk, a subsidy that no one else does. Fox News, MSNBC, or anybody else. This immunity, however, was part of a deal. It was a trade. Section 230, the text of it, refers to the Internet as, quote, a forum for a true diversity of political discourse. That was the trade at the heart of Section 230. This is because we expected tech companies in the business of carrying other speech wouldn't favor any side when they did so. There wouldn't be a conservative internet and a liberal internet. There'd just be the internet. That bargain today is falling apart. 
big tech continues to reap the benefits of a Section 230 subsidy. But the American people do not. The American people are instead subject to both overt censorship and covert manipulation. I believe it's time to rethink that deal. If big tech cannot provide us with evidence, clear, compelling data and evidence, that it's not playing big brother with its vast, immense powers, there's no reason on earth why... Okay, in the closing part of his speech, his intro, Mr. Cruz talks about how um, big tech has all the data on us, but we don't have data on it. And I've talked about this uh, multiple times on this podcast, how there is a complete and utter difference between, I mean, how you can host your own data. And they talked about that on podcast 2.0, like what is the actual cost of hosting your own um, episodes of a podcast and how there is a cost associated with it. And there's a cost associated with running a federated you know, um, Mastodon server and, um, all of these services we supposedly get free from Google until they decide to shut us down and try looking for a place to upload your videos, high resolution videos and stream live. I mean, it is my, I mean, I'm slowly piecing that together, but it's not easy. So I think, um, Did I mention that Mars is out at night? I'm now seeing Mars at night. Um, I used to see Mars with them, uh, with Venus in the morning. That shifted. <sighs> yeah, sorry about that, but I wanted to mention our planet observations. And um, we should actually get into some constellation observations as well. Oh yeah, and we looked into, um, this is really stream of random stuff, guys, I'm sorry, but this is just how I roll. We looked into uh, the origins of the gods, and the Sumerians and the Babylonians had uh, the gods, the planets as gods. And it turns out that the moon wasn't considered a god, or the moon wasn't considered a god by the Romans, it seems. And the Earth wasn't considered a planet. So, um, we're going to do some more research on that. But the uh, the origins of the, the Babylonian was that they used that for predicting things. Astrology. And uh, that goes back to those old times. So anyway, um, let's introduce this clip from Ted Cruz. Where he's going to conclude... You know, that we have, we don't, there's a disproportionate amount of information that they collect on us, and we don't have any information on them. He doesn't mention, you know, that people, like points that I try to make, that people can't even afford to collect all their own information, and how poor we are. But I, I bring that up on this podcast. Okay, let's go. Clear, compelling data and evidence 
that it's not playing big brother with its vast immense powers, there's no reason on earth why Congress should give them a special subsidy through Section 230. And that takes us to the heart of the problem. Big tech is anything but transparent. Google is happy to collect data on everyone, everywhere, constantly. On you, on me, on all of us. They make sure they know what you search, what you shop for online, what you like. They track your location within a matter of feet so that they know when you visit a physical store. But the information sharing is a one-way street. This must change. Google cannot simply hide behind its algorithms. Big tech's algorithms and search engines only do what humans at companies like Google tell them to do. Just as big tech needs and wants data on all of us, the American people need and want data on big tech. They need it to profit. We need it to protect free speech. And I hope that today, Google will start to answer some of our questions fully and candidly so that we can assess how we can work together to protect the robust marketplace of ideas that American political discourse has been built upon. So now we're going to um, introduce the Democratic senator. And you have to realize this is in June or July 2019. And, you know, things are really gearing up for the coronavirus, for the election. And we have seen such a power, powerful play um, by these tech companies that supposedly are not biased. We've seen them totally biased now and totally partisan. Like just today, it's just incredible. You can't say anything on Facebook. They learned their lesson from the previous election and they are stopping the people from communicating with each other about these things. And they're clearly, clearly, clearly biased. So, I mean, she brings up some good points, but they they say they oh well uh, Google is going to say oh well um, Republicans and Democrats get the same hits, right? But really, what's happening is that people are um, being censored, and people are are, are being limited and what they can share and what they can talk about uh, by these algorithms. It's not, and really it's not people who are looking at all these tweets like she's talking about, it's the algo, it's the tyranny of the algo that's doing it. And it has so many false positives, but it doesn't matter. It's basically saying, shut up slave, you can't talk about these topics at all, right? You can either toe the party line or you'll get censored. And that's what it's turning into. And later on, they're going to talk about how there's actual bias um, in the people that work in Google and how there's an, a bias by the workers. And we'll get into that later. But 
you know, she talks a good talk, but we see the results of it right now. So, um, but we're going to listen to everything she says. Ideas that American political discourse has been built upon. Senator Harone. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The calendar says it's July 16th, but it feels like Groundhog Day in the United States Senate. A little more than three months ago, this subcommittee held a hearing to explore allegations of anti-conservative bias in the tech industry. My friends on the other side were critical of witnesses from Facebook and Twitter. They claimed a vast conspiracy to silence conservative voices. After listening to some of the comments from that hearing, you might think that some liberal mastermind sits at the controls of those platforms, looking at 510,000 Facebook posts and 350,000 tweets posted every minute and removes anything that might al align with the Republican Party platform. I repeat now what I said then. Claims of anti-conservative bias in the tech industry are baseless. Study after study has debunked suggestions of political bias on the... Yeah, so she's going to go on here to say that there's different studies that show that the um, there's no difference between conservative and uh, liberal media, but um, and that Democrats and Republican senator tweets are getting the same views. Well, we see that uh, Donald Trump's tweets today are being blocked or censored by Twitter and you can't even see them it's like oh this tweet may be inappropriate or false right so that's kind of like an overt censorship and um, you know well maybe it's just because I don't uh, I unsubscribed from all the uh, a lot of the uh, right-wing stuff on Twitter, but I really am not getting the same feed like I, I got in 2016. And um, <clears throat> the uh, it's uh, definitely, I, I see my dad uh, getting censored all the time by Facebook and he wrote something even on my wall and it says this tweet, this uh, post has is not visible and uh, I mean a lot of his stuff just doesn't show up and it could just be quality algorithms saying oh well you know maybe we're, what we're experiencing is also um, a bias against <clears throat> low quality or so-called fake news or conspiracy stuff but um, in any case um, you know we all feel the heavy hand of the Google and she tries to brush it away and say, well, study after study says, um, you know, there is no bias. But that's not how we feel. And uh, if we get into this whole issue of felt and observed um, reality with the uh, postmodern uh, philosophy... <clears throat> you know, you can't question a progressive or, let's say, someone, if they say that they feel like you're being a racist to them, you can't question that. And, well, then, you know, if we can't 
if we can't feel, um, if we can't question, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just getting distracted by my screen here. How can they uh, question our observed or felt uh, discrimination? Right? We're going to flip that around, but we'll see what she says about the uh, studies some more. Debunked suggestions of political bias on the part of Facebook, Google, and Twitter. In June of this year, The Economist released the findings of a year-long analysis that ran on search results on Google's News tab. It found no evidence that Google biases its results against conservatives. In April, Media Matters completed a 37-week study into alleged conservative censorship on Facebook. It found that right-leaning pages actually outperformed outperform left-leaning pages in terms of overall interactions with users. Earlier this year, Twitter performed a five-week analysis of tweets sent by all members of the House and Senate. It found no statistically significant difference between the number of times a tweet by a Democratic member is viewed as compared to a tweet by a Republican member. One of our witnesses, Professor Francesca Tripodi, has done her own research in this area. And she found no evidence that Google censors conservative content either in its main search product or on YouTube. In fact, she has found that conservative commentators like Mr. Prager, another of the witnesses today, are extremely adept at optimizing their content for Google's search engine, allowing them to capture massive audiences. Undeterred by this evidence, here we are again, Three months after that initial hearing with Facebook and Twitter, it is now Google's turn to be raked over the coals. Google will be accused of political motives for some common sense actions that are entirely within their rights. Just like we saw at the president's so-called, quote, social social media summit last week, President Trump invited a rogues gallery of social media's leading racists and conspiracy theorists to hear about supposed censorship by tech companies. But none of these people had actually been banned from any platform. Each remains free to use the megaphone social media provides to spread their messages of conspiracy and hate. This tilting at windmills comes at a cost. Fears of being tarred as biased have made tech companies hesitant to deal with the real problems of racist and harassing content on their platforms. According to a... Okay, now she has some very valid uh, points of concern here. And really, um, you know, she's going to give us a laundry list of problems with YouTube. But let's go over some of this stuff. I mean, first of all, it's very difficult to find uh, bad behavior and censor it. And it's the cat and mouse game that will always um, that people will always come up with new methods um, uh, it's a it, evolution of memes let's say a evolution of uh, forces a dialectic um, So you'll never be able to get rid of criminal behavior on a platform without getting rid of um, freedom of any kind. So it's really, 
it's just like also, you know, if you run your own Tor network, we talked about this, you're going to have really bad stuff on it. And um, you should always be careful if you're running any peer-to-peer networks because you might end up supporting the dark web and the dark army, so to say. Um, <clears throat> so you have to also know who you can trust. And that's very difficult. So, um, but on the topic of using the algorithms uh, to censor tweets and end up t- censoring uh, politicians, well, yes, but now they are censoring politicians. So they are using those algorithms and they do have a fallout. According to a report by Vice, Twitter is afraid to use the proactive algorithmic approach it uses to remove ISIS-related content to rid the platform of white supremacist content. The reason? Twitter is afraid it might also catch content posted by Republican politicians. YouTube dragged its feet before taking any action against conservative commentator Steven Crowder, despite being informed of Crowder's two-year homophobic harassment campaign against journalist Carla Mazza. When YouTube did finally take action, it took the half measure of removing advertisements from Crowder's videos rather than removing him from the platform entirely. Browbeating the tech industry for a problem that does not exist also draws attention away from the real problems with Google and other tech companies. Last month, a New York Times investigation found that YouTube's recommendation engine served as a roadmap for pedophiles to find videos of younger and younger girls, sometimes as young as five or six years old. That followed a Wired report on the way pedophiles used the comment section of YouTube videos to identify and share videos of children. A recent Wall Street Journal investigation found that YouTube is overrun by videos pushing fake claims for cancer cures. This is after YouTube stoked the flames of the anti-vax movement to the point that measles has returned to this country. Another New York Times feature documented the radicalization of a young man who followed YouTube's recommended videos down an alt-right rabbit hole. Google is a big, successful company. It employs some of the smartest people in the country. There is no question in my mind that it can solve these problems, real problems. Unfortunately, as long as we're busy making Google defend itself, from clear and, with clear and convincing evidence, no less, from bogus claims of anti-conservative bias, it has no incentive to address these real issues. I'm hoping another of our witnesses can shine some light in this area. Andy Parker is the father of journalist Allison Parker. Allison worked for CBS affiliate WDBJ in Roanoke, Virginia. In August 26, 2015, she and her colleague Adam Ward... So now she's going to introduce the girl, the family, who's gr- the, the girl who was killed on video, and the family's trying to get this video taken down from YouTube. And um, they're fighting with Google over it for many years. And uh, Google's going to say later, oh, well, if it's news and covered in the news, then you can't take it down. And they kind of shift around on that whole topic a lot. But you'll see that her, the Democrats' whole idea is that of censorship and taking things down. And the Republicans' whole idea is that of basically freedom of speech.
and um, we're going to see them clash here in this whole Senate hearing. It's going to be great uh, to listen to. Adam Ward were conducting a live interview when they were attacked by a gunman. Allison and Adam died at the scene. Video of the shooting quickly spread on social media, including Google's YouTube. For the past four years, Andy has sent letters to Google. He has met with Google. He has flagged videos on YouTube. He has begged and pleaded that these videos come down. Despite Andy's efforts, you can still find video of the tragedy on YouTube to this day. And I want Google to tell us why that is. I look forward to hearing from Andy. His work to shine a light on Google's failures honors Allison's memory. It also provides a great public service, as I hope this subcommittee, the full Judiciary Committee, and the Senate writ large start to focus on the real problems presented by the tech industry and demand action. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank okay, so I think I'm going to close it up with that today because uh, I don't want to go on for hours and hours. And um, we're going to take this slowly, bit by bit, but I want you to hear the whole Senate hearing. I'm going to give my commentary. And please do share this episode if you like it or give me some feedback on <clears throat> if it's valuable to you or not. I want to get my listens up. So I think by choosing an actual topic and having a podcast series on this topic, we might actually get more listeners and more people might appreciate this um, this method and this style. So, uh, as I said, for people who, well, people who don't know this podcast, I'm doing it while I'm taking my walk. So this is a um, <clears throat> this is a uh, therapy session for me, in that uh, well, I get to do get my steps in, get some fresh air, have some alone time, but also thinking deeply about some topic or another and sharing that with you <clears throat> in a limited amount of time. I'm not going into hours of post-production. I'm not listening to it afterwards. I'm just, you know, live to tape and send it out. So, uh, yeah, if listeners give me some feedback about quality issues, we try and adjust for that. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy it and have a great day.